For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Today on It's Always Something in Philadelphia, I'll talk about the NBA All-Star Weekend, the Flyers' loss in the stadium series to the New Jersey Devils, and the Phillies now really getting underway in spring training. Finally, have everybody in the building or on the field over there in Clearwater, so I'll get into all of that. Starting with the NBA All-Star Weekend, and, uh, you know, it's overall, meh, it, meh. I, it's, I don't really know if there's much more to say about it in terms of the overall, you know, vibe or experience. It's every event has seemed to, you know, it still captivates you in, in, in interest. You, you think that what the event, because of its history, maybe or its name or what it could be, I'm drawn in. And most of them are underwhelming. Before I get into why it, it as a whole stinks, let's talk about our guy. Tyrese Maxey, the lone 76er representative. Joel Embiid, of course, not there because of his injury and his rehab, although he was active on Twitter, which was funny. But Tyrese Maxey, he looked like he had fun. That's kind of all you were hoping to see from him. Uh, he did fine in the skills competition. The skills competition, easily the most useless and boring event of the whole weekend. Not really a lot of controversy there. Just be fine getting rid of it. Uh, he did be better than he did the prior year, which I know he had a lot of dribbling mistakes and things like that. So he did fine in that. Um, and he did well in the game for the moments he played in. Now that game was nothing close to actual NBA competition. It was just sort of a three point and dunk contest, but Tyrese Maxey, he got in there, made some big shots, had some efficient minutes. And then in a, a tribute to Sixers pass of the past few years, Doc Rivers immediately subbed him out after making a couple big plays. So that felt nice to, to see that sequence again but the biggest story or moment for him which you could see on twitter people putting up the compilations is him mingling with the stars as i predicted tyrese Maxey has that radiant friendly atmosphere and just every player he was with whether it was lebron saying he was proud of him or some of the other east all-stars or Kawhi or whoever they were just co-mingling having fun just seemed to be enjoying his presence his aura which Tyrese Maxey has a great aura and brings in these sort of these other players and atmospheres that, that make him a welcome friend and hopefully future teammate. So does any of that formulate to an offseason trade or signing? Most likely not, but it is cool to see that the players like Maxey as much as we do and gravitate to him as much as we do, because that could be a key factor for someone maybe deciding to sign between the team they're with or the Sixers or the Sixers or the Knicks or the Sixers or whoever. So that, that was fun to see for him. And hopefully this, that, that turns into a future teammate one day breaking down the actual weekend and competition. Again, the skills competition, whatever, pass that on. Good for you, Maxi. The three point contest. Damian Lillard took it again. That's one I think that is only getting better with age. Actually, I'll, I'll walk back my, my previous statement a little bit. The three-point contest as three-point shooters keep getting better and better. Always fun to see. Still surprising when they miss for how good shooters are nowadays, but I guess that is 
a game-like atmosphere, so there can be added pressure, and that's why sometimes shots don't go in. Congrats, Damian Lillard, two-time champion of the NBA three-point contest. But the real story was then the additional kind of spurred out of some friendly chatter competition of Steph versus Sabrina, NBA versus WNBA with Sabrina Ionescu of the New York Liberty, taking on Steph Curry in the same format three-point contest, just one round each. Um, Sabrina, first round, she made 26, which for the record, so she made 26 points. I think there was five at each station, and then the last one was two, and then there's a couple of like starry magic, four-point balls, whatever. She scored 26. That was the winning score for Damian Lillard in the first, the general NBA three-point contest. He got 26. That's what won him the competition. Sabrina versus Steph. Sabrina starts, goes first. She gets 26. Incredible. Shooting from the NBA three-point line. And then Steph goes and he shoots 29, which, you know, Sabrina, it, it wasn't a fair fight. People were joking that that's, you know, Sabrina is taking on the Thanos of NBA three-point shooting. He's the greatest shooter who's ever lived. And she put up championship finals level three-point shooting numbers with 26. But then Steph is Steph and he got 29 and tip your cap. And that would have been fun, captivating television, kind of nothing to get mad on either side. Sabrina didn't stink. So the misogynist couldn't go and be like, oh, see, women can't shoot. She didn't. She was great. Steph didn't lose to her. So again, the misogynist can't be like, oh, my God, Steph lost to a woman. It's the worst thing ever. She was great. He was better because he's the best to ever do it. The problem was the commentary was horrible. Kenny the Jet Smith, I, I don't know, maybe he was drunk, which Joel Embiid tweeted out saying Kenny's Kenny's drunk on there, just because his commentary was so out of pocket. The whole time they were sort of just talking over and, and being really unenjoyable to listen to. And after Steph made his 29 and Sabrina made her 26, for some reason, Kenny started going on a rant saying, I told you she should have shot from the women's three-point line, more where she's used to shooting. Which is why? Why say that? She did phenomenal. She did just as well as Damian Lillard. It it makes no sense. It's diminishing from what the point of that was to show that there shouldn't be this this you know pitting of standards or expectations for women or men. It's hey, if you're a baller, you're a baller. If you can play, you can play. And that's what Sabrina said in her post challenge interview. She said, if you can shoot, you can shoot. Doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. And that was the point. That's why Steph did it. That's why Sabrina did it. And so for Kenny to say that, it just was unnecessary and really took away from the whole experience. And he was getting roasted on Twitter, and for good reason. And he deserves to kind of reap the the repercussions, I guess, just publicly of of saying what he did. Because again, it just it was it was out of pocket. There's no need for that. Um, but shout out to Sabrina for for putting on a good show. Then there was the dunk contest, which had equally bad commentary even worse judging, and a pretty bad just reaction from the crowd. So I think the thing with dunk contests nowadays is we've seen all the dunks or most of the dunks. And so what was a mind-boggling, you know, physics-defying dunk in the 90s, in 2007, and even 2016, the last great dunk contest, we've seen it before. And so now it's sort of underwhelming, which is understandable. But the judges extremely harsh, not giving the proper dunks, their proper scoring, the crowd, no real like loud, at least through the TV. I don't know about in person, you know, great reaction, anything. And the commentary, I think it was Kenny again. And just that whole crew on TNT, just like 
every dunk was, oh, well, this is why, and, and like nitpicking and not like just enjoying the moment. Um, so that really just downplayed the whole thing. And some of the great dunks were not scored properly. Mac McClung, who ended up winning again, former 76er in Delaware Blue Coat, Mac McClung, he had the dunk where he went up and he grabbed the ball, let it go, and then caught it again and then rose up and dunked it, which is very difficult. Maybe not the most difficult dunk contest dunk ever, but it's at least original. I don't think we've ever seen that. And that dunk was not even the highest scored dunk of that round. Jalen Brown had a higher score for whatever his dunk was, dunking left-handed, because there's a whole bit where he can't dribble with his left hand. It made no sense. Um, some of the earlier round dunks, too, there was one that was pretty impressive that was graded pretty poorly. Made no sense. And then it ended up being Mac McClung and Jalen Brown in the dunk contest finals. And Mac McClung's winning dunk was fun. He dunked over Shaq. He had Shaq hold the ball up, which that was fun. Shaq's obviously a big human. And he got, I think, a 50 on that one or 49 point, whatever. Wasn't his best dunk, but it was his highest rated one. He ended up winning. He deserved to win. He was much more entertaining than Jalen Brown. But it ended up just not being enjoyable or not being as enjoyable as I think it could have been based on just the way the crowd reacted, the commentary, and the judges. Then last night, Sunday night, was the All-Star game itself, which I think that was the worst All-Star game I've seen in a while. Granted, most times I don't really sit and watch the whole All-Star game because I know what I'm getting into. For this one, because Maxi was playing and because I'm doing this podcast, I said, okay, I'll sit down, I'll watch the whole thing. And there was just not one second of true effort. Normally, for most of the time, it's a lot of three points, dunks, lobs, all that stuff. But if the game's close when the game winds down, you can maybe see some sort of attempt for defense. This one, the East got out to a lead so early because of their terrific three-point shooting that no one on either side was really trying. It was just chucking up deep threes, great dunks, great lobs. Uh, Damian Lillard hit a couple of uh, half-court threes. That's cool, I guess. That's fun. Entertaining to see. But it, it's... It's just not fun for anyone involved. I mean, I don't know how many people without that were watching it were like, oh, yes, this is entertaining. I'm having fun watching this product. And I get people with the the story on the on the other side with the players where it's their break and they don't want to get injured and they're having fun with their friends and it's more of a you know an event and a gathering than a game. And I understand that for sure, but it is also being sold as a product and people want to tune in. And it is unique where outside of a closed Olympics practice, this is the best players on the planet on the same floor in a national competition. And yeah, you don't have to go a hundred percent like you would if it were an NBA finals, but give us 80%, maybe 85%. Someone said, I think it was Shaq. might've been Shaq. Someone on the TNT pregame saying, do what you do in summer league, right? You're working, you're playing defense. You're trying to get to the basket. You're working on your skills, but you're not going to go out of your way to maybe injure yourself or take that extra step or extra play that could put yourself in harm's way. That's sort of all I want to see, and I think America wants to see. You don't have to be 100, but give us 80%, just a little bit of defense. Watching these guys straight up just stand and let someone walk past them and drive straight to the basket, I just I don't know why we're watching. I don't know what the, the draw is for it. So I don't know how to fix it either. A lot of people proposed different ideas. They went back to East versus West this year, which I enjoyed. I think it was good. I think they should even go back to players wearing their actual jerseys. I think that's fun. They can have, you know, East and West warmups, but then wear their actual jerseys. I think that is a more satisfying and aesthetically pleasing look. How do you make players care about it? I don't know. 
I think in general in life, it's hard to make someone care about something they don't care about themselves. And if the players on the court don't care about the game, there's nothing the fans can do. There's no financial incentive the league can do. I don't think there's any structural change that can be done to make them care about it more. I don't know when it started changing, what, you know, why players went away from it. It's just, I don't know if it's an injury thing or if just sort of like you're in high school and you don't want to be the kid that tries and everyone's too cool to try. A lot of the European basketball influence, I mean, Luka and Jokic, they would were the furthest from trying and they don't think they ever plan on putting any effort into this. They probably both would rather just go home or be somewhere else or be on vacation. So I don't know how to fix it. I, I think maybe just stop watching, stop giving it the merit and maybe it'll force the NBA to do something drastic. Cause I guess as long as people keep tuning in, it'll keep staying the same, but overall uh, a mediocre all-star experience this weekend. NBA, one of the lower tiered uh, all-star weekends. I think the MLB by far and away has the best all-star game experience. The home run derby is electric. The actual all-star game is fantastic. I think because with MLB baseball, hitting a baseball is such a difficult skill that you can't give anything less than like 95% effort. And so you almost have to try in order for anything to happen. So I think that's what gives, gives way to actually being an entertaining game. So MLB, by far, leaps and bounds ahead of the NBA and the other sports in terms of all-star games. So, overall, meh. Now to the Flyers. The night before this NBA all-star game, they played in a stadium series. They played in New Jersey at MetLife Stadium against the New Jersey Devils. Really fun atmosphere. Crowd looked pretty full. Um, the stadium was was an interesting setup. I'll, I'll get into what I thought of the, the stadium setup in just a bit, but let's talk about the game. Right away, first 34 seconds of the game, Devils scored a goal, and that sort of told you all you needed to know about how this game would go over the Flyers. They didn't straight up roll over, but they were always chasing the Devils this entire game. They let up a goal, let up a second goal before the end of the first period. Second period, their offense came to life. Owen Tippett ended up scoring twice, but they let up two more goals to the Devils, um, connecting getting two assists in the night as well. And again, they just always felt like they were behind, always chasing. When they got a goal or crept up a little bit, the Devils separated even more. Not the best night for Arison in the net. Um, probably his first really bad game since becoming the full-time starter. And it happens. I think a lot of people were, were mad and kind of talking trash on, on Twitter and stuff like that. But look, it'll happen. You'll, they'll have bad games. He's still a rookie. He still wasn't expecting to be the guy this year. So I, I don't look too much into it. On the other end, I thought the Devils goalie, Dolls, was fantastic. The Flyers, second period and on, were attacking the net. They had 48 shots on goal, and Dolls had 45 saves. I mean, they were putting the pressure on, and he was making great saves. So you got to just tip your cap um, to that one. So I, I don't read too much into this as uh, maybe Arison isn't what we thought he was. Just a bad game. It sucks. It was such a national stage and such a cool moment with the rival outside, all the hype. Could have been a fun one to put his abilities on display and see the Flyers pull out. Didn't end up being that way, but you you, you live with those sometimes in, in a long season. Um, the stadium itself, as I was mentioning, it was fun. Um, I don't know if this is just me, if I'm crazy. Watching the TV broadcast with the game being outside, and maybe it was something with the, the temperature and the ice, I thought I could see the puck better on the outdoor ice versus a normal broadcast. Not that I can't see the puck on a normal normal broadcast but i know some people 
have trouble seeing the puck. That's kind of their, their knock on hockey. I don't know why. I just thought it was much clearer than maybe the texture or the color of the ice. I could pick it up better. That's besides the point. Um, they had the fake parks outside of the rink. So obviously an ice rink, a hockey rink is much smaller than an NFL football field. So they centered it right in the middle of the field, but then had a couple like kids, mini parks there, and then fake state parks because apparently Jersey's known for its state parks. Live in PA for most of my life and have been going to Jersey for a long time. I didn't know they were known for their state parks. I've been to plenty of them. Didn't know that was like the thing. I've known it for the beach, but for the shore, but you know, cool for Jersey. Um, so they have the fake parks around there and a ton of music, opening music, ton of bands between periods. Of course, the big draw was the Jonas brothers between the second and third period, their concert. I think that's cool. If I'm the players, I wonder what they think about it. Kind of having an extra long intermission time between periods for a full on concert to go on. Seems very performative, very commercial Super Bowl esque. but I'm sure for the fans, that's great. I mean, you get a hockey game and a couple of concerts or you know, mini concerts in between. See the Jonas Brothers. I know some people that went just for the Jonas Brothers and happen to see a hockey game as well. So that made it fun. I think the NHL is doing a good job with these stadium series, making them events, making them interactive. I think with the grass around the stadium, what I would have preferred is to have some sort of seating down there. Because I think to me, what, what looked weird and maybe is weird for the players too, is not having front row fans surrounding the glass that was the only thing that was strange to me so maybe get you know exclusive seating a couple just high school bleacher-esque that you can surround the uh the actual glass that might you know deter the view of some people in the football stands but i think that would make it look a little bit more normal in my opinion um they announced the next year stadium series site emily kaplan penn state grad doing a great job on the interview with the commissioner mid-game mid like a chaotic uh, power play sequence. Um, they announced it'll be at Ohio State Stadium next year, the Horseshoe. Um, that's cool. I don't really care about that. But what that does open the door for is possibly the game we've been asking for for years is having Flyers Penguins at Beaver Stadium. There's nothing saying that will happen, but now that they're opening up to college stadiums, that seems like they could be welcoming the idea. And I, I don't think there's anything better than going to you know, the second biggest stadium in the country in Beaver Stadium and having one of the best rivalries with Penguins and Flyers meeting in the middle of the state. Everything everything about it makes sense. Um, so hopefully that opens the door for that. In terms of the Flyers, they've now lost two in a row, and that makes me nervous because this team has been so streaky as of late. They've won five in a row and then lost five or so in a row, and they've done that a lot of times. So far this season, they've really, like, they've let their wins compound and their losses compound. So as a Flyers fan, you want to see them bounce back with a win and not get caught in a tough stretch, a tough losing stretch. They play Wednesday against the Blackhawks in Chicago. So hopefully we can see them bounce back and play a cleaner game, have a cleaner game in the net, and get some more of their shots on goal to go through. The Philadelphia Phillies, they are still in spring training. They're having their first full squad workout today. So for the first time, they're having everyone in the building it's been pitchers and catchers and then some of the fielders have come in and now they have everyone in the building or everyone that's currently signed with the team is in the building bryce harper the man he is with the team i uh, talked to a lot of reporters uh just about the offseason about reese hoskins interesting stuff here he said that he did not tell the team that he preferred to play first base 
He said he wanted to do whatever was best for the organization. Conflicting reports, it seemed like earlier in the offseason when the decision to let Reese go was made, that it seemed like Bryce said he preferred to play first. Kind of a he said, she said thing. I think both sides sort of, not deflecting the blame, but just not wanting to be the outright bad person to kind of be like, hey, I'm the reason Reese is gone. Um, and then Topper was talking about Reese Hoskins and was asked about him, you know, being with the team, are they better or worse without him? And he said, because of what Reese brings, not only as a player and as a batter and as a patient hitter, but as a leader, they are better with him. And he admitted that. But he said, if they have him with Harper healthy, with Castellanos, then there's a lot of juggling and maybe you're doing Castellanos DH and you're putting Harper and right or Reese DH. And then what do you do with Schwarber? And then it's, it's kind of just too many cooks in the kitchen. So it, it's a move that made sense. I think we're going to feel it um, throughout the season. If he starts having a great year in Milwaukee, really going to feel it. But it, it was the move that needed to be made. It still just stings to see Reese in those opposite colors, the blue and yellow over in Milwaukee. Doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel real. But I think there's just too many cooks right now. You have Castellanos on the books. Harper's here for life. You you want Schwarber when you got him. You've got the young players over there in the outfield, the Rojas, and now you have Merrifield in there. Um, so it's it had to happen. Harper, he says he wants an extension, which is crazy because you think back to when he signed 13 years, all the hundreds of millions of dollars. Crazy to imagine he wants to stay or he even needs an extension. But he said he wants to play baseball till he's 45 years old and he wants to do so in Philly. I think they'll make it happen. I think they'll make a relatively team-friendly deal that's still in the stratosphere of paying Harper what he deserves. But knowing that he won't be this caliber player you know, when he's 39 to 45. But giving him money to make sure that he plays all of the rest of his baseball and retires here in Philadelphia – I think it's a good thing. I think that's good for Philadelphia. It's good for Bryce, just getting that secure. There's really no reason to, if he plans to play as long as he says, to let him become a free agent or let it get to that point where he's a year or two out from his multi-year, multi-million dollar deal expiring. So I think it's good that they're talking about it now, and I think they'll work something out soon. Um, Nick Castellanos, my boy, he's back in spring training, back in Clearwater, was talking about the team, being wise as he always is, and says he's glad that this team, most of the unit, without Reese, of course, is running it back, that there wasn't major changes made. Because he says having camaraderie, having connection, knowing each other inside and out as a unit, as a team, as a family, is good for winning and helps winning. And he says it's easier to win and to make it back to these levels if you're going back at it with the same guys in the same group. So that's a... Uh, a reassuring thing to see. It's a concept that makes a lot of sense on the outside, but for a player to say that, hey, like I'm glad we have all the same guys or most of the same guys that way. It's not something new every year, sort of opposed to what you know the Sixers have done the past six years where it's Embiid, Tobias, and mix and match who the other starters are. It's kind of hard to get team chemistry that way. Different sport in baseball, of course, but Castiano sharing his thoughts on that. And I want to end just with a quick question that I saw floating around. Does this team, because they basically made no major changes, no giant offseason additions, should they have World Series expectations? Is that fair to put on this team? And my answer is a resounding yes, absolutely fair. Why? Two years ago, they were in the World Series. One year ago, this past season, 
They were a win, a couple of wins away from making a World Series again back-to-back. They have shown that they have the talent and the playoff ability to be in and to win a World Series. It's just doing it in the clutch moments. And so now, like Cassiano said, they have these same guys, the same core is running it back for now a third season of possibly contending. So I think it's absolutely fair to put those expectations on them because that's the expectations they have. They've been there and fallen short. They've fallen short of getting back to where they were. So that's what they want as a group. They don't, they're not out here just to try and win the division this year or make the divisional round or win a wild card series. Their goals are World Series. So I think the goal as fans should also be a World Series for this team because they have the pitching and they have the hitting and the talent to make it happen. That's all I have for today's episode. I'll be back later in the week with more on hopefully the Phillies spring training and the Flyers getting back to action and maybe a little bit more on the Sixers. Thanks, guys. See you next time.